This is On the Fence Physio, a project designed to drive discussion around those gray topics in physiotherapy. If a professor ever answered your question with, it depends, this is where you want to be. We might not figure out the correct answer, but we will try to answer the question in every single possible way. This is a discussion forum directed at healthcare providers around issues in physiotherapy, but we also welcome viewpoints from patients. That being said, this podcast is not medical advice. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, seek out a legitimate licensed medical provider. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to another episode of On the Fence Physio. As always, I am your host, Andy Wiseman, physical therapist in the DMV area, and I am joined by my illustrious, prodigious, pretentious co-host. How you doing today, Matt? <laughs> hey, I'm doing really well, Andy. Things are good out here in the great state of Indiana. The corn has been harvested. The chickens are up to roost. The cows are getting fat in the barns, you know. Typical farm life out here. How does one tip a cow? With <laughs> their hands most of the time, just like a pot. Very good, very good. This is our ninth episode, I believe. Um, it is also our episode that has to do with the conversation we started back on November 15th. So we could just start calling these by the month, which would be easier than me learning to count, because after we get past nine and ten, I'm going to have to take my shoes off. So it might be easier just to call this our November 2020 <laughs> episode, but I don't really want to label anything as 2020 anymore. I'm about done with 2020. How about you, man? Yeah, it's uh, been a interesting year, a difficult year, a long year, but a lot of good things have happened this year as well. So I'm not racing to the finish line. That's right. I'm not racing to the finish line. Because I want to give 2021 uh, as much of a fighting chance as possible, so give 20 give 2020 the next few days to try to simmer down a bit. It is not simmering down; it is continuing to ramp up. But we'll we'll keep that tone of optimism. Yes, we can fake it for our audience. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, what are we talking <laughs> right. about tonight, Matt? We're going to probably talk about something physical therapy related, but anything more specific than that? Yeah, so we're going to talk about what we tell our patients about activity recommendations while they're in physical therapy, uh, when we discharge them, and so on. Activity recommendations? I thought they were supposed to exercise. What's well, the- <laughs> I hate to, to do this, Andy, so we, we are going to have... Okay, with Professor Owens. Oh, it's my favorite segment. Oh, professor. Yes. yes. You've taught, so you've got taught a class of PT so now, so you're officially a professor, right? That's how it works? Was there a sword tapping you on either side? Well, no, I was. I became a professor in our first year of physical therapy school when I was the only student in our class to show up for the PT Olympics because everyone else was studying. I don't know if that's a good thing. So I was on the professor's team, and since then, <laughs> I've considered myself a um not even honorary but definitely a, a faculty member <laughs> that's why you wear those jackets the elbow so, patches physical act 
Yes, and glasses. Sorry, acting vocab with physical activity. Yes, yeah, <laughs> vocab. Yes. So physical activity is not the same as exercise. Physical activity is simply moving the body in any way that uses energy. Walking, gardening, climbing stairs, pushing a baby stroller. Those are all physical activities. Exercise is defined as a subcategory of physical activity. And this is planned, structured, repetitive, and has a uh, purpose, purposeful in its sense, that the improvement or maintenance of one or more components of physical fitness is the objective. So if I exercise, but I don't have a purpose, now physical activity. <laughs> It is now physical so activity. So all exercises are physical activity, but not all physical activities are exercises. Yeah, what's that philosophical uh, philosophy logic? Oh, you know, what's I was just thinking of like geometry. Um, all squares are rectangles, <laughs> but not all rectangles are squares. I learned that in eighth grade. You know. <laughs> John Rice, um, eighth grade math teacher, Schmuckle, Schmucker Middle School, also was deacon of my church, Ooh, also Schmucker, was yeah. uh, the owner of Putt-Putt Golf and Games, which was my first job as a high school student, also lived in my neighborhood. Yes, this is small town Indiana where you know the same person in at least four different roles. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like in all of those roles, they made a positive impact on your life, so uh, kudos to... Mr. Rice. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure he and his family are listening. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out, Mr. Rice. Shout out Paul Schmucker H. Schmucker School. Middle School. Mm. Mm -mm, Schmuckers. <laughs> so so if I'm doing curls That's for purpose. the girls, it's exercise. Yeah. Perfect. So what do you tell your patients, oh, Andy, them? when they are under your care? about okay, physical fair enough, activity fair enough. or um, exercise. So I'm going to get on you know, a bit of a soapbox like I usually do. Um, I think that we need to start talking about general physical activity recommendations on the first day, not on the last day, where I feel like a lot of PTs end up putting those. Is they're trying to say like, oh, well, after you're done with PT, well, now you need to continue being physically active. I think it should be addressed on the very first day, even with patients who are maybe a little bit more limited in what activities they can do because of if they're post-op or if they're having an injury that's causing a significant amount of pain, I still think we need to be educating on our base physical activity recommendations because these are to maintain health and wellness of the cardiovascular system, um, bone health and density, you know, fighting against things like sarcopenia and the elderly, um, fighting against things like obesity, all of these things, if you let them go, will actually slow down your plan of care, you know, slow down the rehabilitation of whatever you're working on in outpatient physical therapy. So if you need to be addressing these fitness things, these health and wellness things early, make the changes there. And I think, I believe, I got to believe, and I believe deep down, I don't know, Can't but I got to believe that if we're promoting these things early, they'll make changes sooner. And if we waited till the end, and that those changes will then help your plan of care, achieving your plan of care a little bit sooner. So you're saying from day one, you're going to try to educate your patients on appropriate general activity, right. Things physical activity. healthy and well. Uh, and the American College of Sports Medicine and the CDC both agree 
wow, right? Two, two fun initialisms that are government agencies. Um, <laughs> that you should have 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic activity every week. And two times a week, you should do muscle strengthening activities um, that work all major muscle groups. I don't know what a major muscle group is. I guess the uh, Terry's minor would not fall into that category. <laughs> That's a dead giveaway. My suboccipitals, that's what I work on. Um, yeah. I personally <laughs> spend a lot of time working on my feet. I do a lot of foot strengthening things. I don't know if they're major. I don't know. But they got a lot of soul. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> uh, pause for sound effect. And <laughs> um, <laughs> so those are the recommendations that I go with first, because if we're not getting those things, then we're going to potentially have um, other complications that will limit um, the plan of care and progressing in the plan of care. Um, and while I totally understand why the CDC and the American College of Sports Medicine has the um, civic duty of promoting these public health um, endeavors what is our role in promoting those as physical therapists? Do we have, uh, should we be getting involved in health and wellness promotion? Is this our job? Is this our speciality? Uh, what does our uh, code of ethics say about this, Andy? Since I have a memorized I know you're, obviously. you're a sucker, glutton for punishment and read it every night before bed. Well. Does it have anything in there about our because um, I have duty no personal or intrinsic professionals? Ethics. I have to um, I have to feed them to myself extrinsically. <laughs> Got to remember these things. <laughs> That's right. So what does what does the American Physical Therapy Association tell you is right? Not wrong? a whole lot as far as you know taking um, the seriousness of you know like public health. So we do have, um, in principle eight, um, two statements, um, one being that physical therapists shall advocate to reduce health disparities and healthcare inequities, improve access and preventative healthcare needs of people. I would say that's the closest thing is maybe um, you could consider um, fitness and wellness as preventative healthcare. But those aren't always exactly the same thing. So that is a bit, you know, a bit dodgy, as uh, one of our former professors might say. Um, <laughs> and the other statement being that physical therapists shall educate members of the public about the benefits of physical therapy and the unique role of the physical therapist. So, you know, getting out in the public and educating about physical therapy, you know, what's within our role I mean, I agree with that, but is stepping out of um, stepping out into public health promotion, wellness and fitness, is that within our scope of practice as physical therapists? Do you have any thoughts on this, Matt? Is there any kind of uh, PTs that you've interacted with out there that you know are more than just a PT? Do they try to be anything else? Because I don't want to be anything yeah, more think... than what I've been trying to be lately. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no! I've, I've definitely got that uh, been around a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of uh, professionals, and especially if you kind of search through your social media feeds, 
through Instagram, Twitter, those types of things. I feel like a lot of phys- oh, <laughs> not anymore. Should I get rid of my MySpace? Uh, not anymore. It's dead. <laughs> well, I don't know. Fine, I'll switch it over to Google+. If your Plus. friends are still on there. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so there seem to be quite a few people who want to be a physical therapist, but a physical therapist meaning uh, a personal trainer, a massage therapist, acupuncturist, ch- chiropractor, a general one-stop shop for all of your wellness needs. Are you saying to have all these people within one spot? No, all these people within Ooh. one person. That might uh, open some doors of legal trouble if you uh, say you do acupuncture as a physical therapist. Unless you're trained to do acupuncture. I guess you can do that, right? Okay. You could. You could. So that would be the side of things where uh, I think as a profession in school and even as a young professional, I feel like we hear a lot about uh, really marketing all of our skills, what we can do, uh, what we've learned, and to really defend our expertise, what we're good at. And sometimes when I hear that and then see what's being talked about, I see a lot of us infringing, if that's the correct word, or kind of working into other allied health professionals' um, specialty. So when, to me, it's kind of a question, all right, when, when is that my thing and when should I refer for that out to somebody mm. else? Have you, has a patient ever asked you like, hey, you know, I've been taking um, this prescription pain medication and I was thinking about taking it a little less often or I was thinking about cutting the pills in half. What do you think about that, Matt? Should I do that? Right. I hear it every single day, right? And they'll ask me about that. I'll ask, get, um, you know, nutritional questions. You know, should I go on this uh, anti-inflammatory diet or what do you think of the uh, keto diet or what about Atkins? (laughs) Just ibuprofen. (laughs) And whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) We don't care about our stomach. We care about our joint inflammation. Uh, no, so those are things we get asked a lot of health questions every day that aren't technically within our scope of practice. And I think it's difficult as a provider sometimes to say, sorry, that's not my area of expertise. You should consult this provider for that. Okay, so I love this. And I'm going to use this argument to cycle back to our original thought. So even if Maybe we aren't, it's not, if, let's just say, I don't know for a fact, okay? Let's just say that this is not part of our scope of practice to do public health and wellness promotion and education. Maybe it's not, maybe it is. I kind of do it anyway. But what we could do is say like, hey, if we're pointing patients towards an appropriate resource, that would be good then, right? Because if we're saying like, hey, for nutritional stuff, we're pointing someone towards a nutritional resource, whether that be a licensed nutritionist, licensed dietitian, or a credible um, agency of uh, organized eating educators. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the professional bodies. 
<laughs> oh, accredited organization uh, of eaters. Yeah. <laughs> but we could point them to like American College of Sports Medicine's website where they have some handouts, um, very nice, well put together infographics. So they have some activity recommendations for your kids. So if you got, you know, mom or dad or you treat little kids and they they want to know what their activity recommendations are, there's this great handout that um, if you have a zero to two year old, um, they should be having no screen time, no screen time for your zero to two year old at all. That's that's a tough one. Um, so take these recommendations for what you will. Um, their playing should be a lot on the floor, but they don't really give a recommendation for how many minutes. They do have a recommendation on sleep, though. Um, children 4 to 12 months old need 12 to 16 hours of sleep each day. Wow, that's a lot. Ages 3 to 5, they get a little more specific. A total of 3 hours a day of play at a variety of intensities, light, moderate, and vigorous. Basically every 15 minutes of every waking hour, they say so. If your kid has been sitting still for 45 minutes and their age is three to five, make them go play. But I've never seen a three to five-year-old that sits still for more than 45 minutes. So I don't know if that's a problem. <laughs> um, then we get to that six problem. to 12 age group. And then also they have a handout for teens. Basically comes that, uh, that Play 60 campaign that went on. Try to get 60 minutes of moderate intensity play. Um every day and then they have some recommendations about screen time and they really like to get on the screen time they don't like the screens you can be active on the screen so you're telling I've me that a, i've played you know Wii <laughs> video games connect video games you're moving around we'll have to talk about video games in another All episode because right, so, i know that you video, know, it's a little bit close another, to home yeah. there right. don't count my screen time please um and then there's also uh, one for older adults you know, that, you know, talks about some things about like fall prevention and doing um, activities with friends. So they're talking about safety and activities in this elderly one. So I um, love that. And of course, they uh, point out activities like walking, gardening, pickleball and sitting aerobics. <laughs> sitting aerobics is what I do in the clinic on the one stool that we have that's a little bit broken all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I think you make a really good point that in regards to health promotion, I think typically the idea would be that you're working collaboratively with others and that physical therapists themselves or ourselves, we don't own that space. It's not just ours. Um, so finding ways to you know, promote the correct avenues, good resources, good information, credible information online is good. I know with my patients that are older and on Medicare, I always try to recommend that they get involved with the Silver Sneakers program. I give them a link uh, or handout uh, for that information in order to get a gym membership paid for by Medicare uh, to be able to maybe have a place to exercise, especially uh, here in the Midwest. It's cold, it's gross out in wintertime. Um, so to give them resources outside of my clinic to be able uh, to continue to get their physical activity and maybe even Ooh, exercise. so maybe a little physical activity, a little bit of exercise. So to bring back um, that differentiation, do you feel like there's ever a time when you need exercise and physical activity alone is not good enough 
That's a good question. So I think within physical therapy rehabilitation, this is my bias, that I am prescribing specific exercises to meet a goal with um, mm -hmm. repetition, with uh, a specific function in mind. So I do believe that if you're trying to work on a weakness or maybe something that has been uh, neglected in your physical activity, what you're doing every day, that there needs to be a specific exercise. Okay, program. good. So no, I agree with you there. Um, obviously, physical therapy is directed, is specific, um, should be for the most part. I guess there are some examples of physical therapy can be general as well. But for the most part, I would say physical therapy tends to be a targeted approach to try to fix a certain impairment or work towards a certain goal or some combination of those two things. Is there any time when you're educating patients, you know, for outside of physical therapy care, right, either, you know, parallel to physical therapy care or after physical therapy care, that physical activity alone is not good enough and they need to do exercise as well? I think that part of it within physical therapy, for example, if I have a patient that I'm only seeing maybe once every other week or once a month or um, that type of thing where a lot of their program is on their own, that there is some more education on specific exercise outside of time in the clinic, if, if mm -hmm. that's what you're asking. Um, yeah. So what, uh, what are my your thoughts, thoughts are irrefutably? Yes. I feel like there are very specific examples of when specific exercise is needed and general activity is not good enough. Um, the one that first comes to mind for me is, um, when we're talking about, especially in the elderly, um, battling against sarcopenia and muscle or and bone density loss. Mm -hmm. So, it has yep. been well established that doing resistance training and sometimes as little as um, 6 to 12 reps of 80 to 85% of your one rep max for one set once a week is enough to cause muscular hypertrophy in some groups. Like, But you need to have some stimulus, some specific stimulus to get muscular hypertrophy. It doesn't happen all the time with just general activity. If we want to battle against sarcopenia, which I think is a worthwhile endeavor um, for promoting in the elderly, and if we want to promote, in, you know, not, we can't increase bone density, but slowing the decrease of bone density, I think is also a worthwhile goal and something we should promote and educate on um, I know that all patients might not have that as a goal. They might say, like, oh, my skeleton's, you know, getting a little bit softer as I get older, whatever. I'm not as active. Maybe they're okay with that. So maybe it's not a patient-specific goal. But I still think it is at least important for us to bring up the conversation because there might be some patients that are just unaware, you know, that that's a thing. Yeah, so what do you, so what do you tell your patients in regard to the CDC guidelines where we have our 150 minutes of general activity, but there's that other two days of strength training work. What are you telling your patients to educate them maybe on appropriate activities 
intensities, modifications, are you giving them any guidance in regards to that? Or are you trying to point them to somebody like a, a personal trainer or something like that who's going to teach them more about strength? So training? I do tend to provide some amount of education in the clinic. I also do refer out when I feel like other um, more beneficial, um, you know, re that a referral would be beneficial to the patient. So, um, for example, I think it is totally appropriate in our role because we have studied, you know, muscular physiology. We know what kind of stimulus is required to cause muscular hypertrophy. We know that causing axial compressive forces to long bones is the best thing we can do to promote osteoblast activity. We know that, but the patient might not know that. And then we need to provide that in a more patient digestible way. You know, we need to get that. And we know that it takes specific dosages of exercise to cause those changes. Whereas, you know, I know I've gone on before that um, a lot of when you have a general goal like pain reduction, disability reduction, that general activity, general dosages of activity and exercise are just as effective as specific dosage in mo most cases that I've read, just frustrating. Um, if we actually want to... <laughs> Very <laughs> but if we actually want to cause specific changes like um, muscular hypertrophy, like um, protecting bone density as best we can, we do need to give specific dosages. So my favorite, you know, to get specific, because I know that we have some student listeners out there and they can't deal with the ambiguity. <laughs> they want some hard concrete things. So here's a hard concrete <laughs> things. Listen up. Um, put your TikToks down and... Uh, <laughs> Take some notes. Um, my favorite, okay, my favorite one. This isn't the only one. My favorite one is I get my backpack out. I grab my 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 normal backpack that I bring to work every day. I strap it around my elderly patient, okay, that I'm trying to promote um, some strength training, some bone density things. And I'm thinking about their spine. I'm thinking about their hips, their knees, the big the big weight bearing things. Um, and I have them stand up 10 times out of a chair with my backpack on. And I say, how'd you do with 10 times? And there's a, oh, that was easy. I'm like, great. And I throw some weights, you know, I just, I'll just chalk, you know, dumbbells in there, kettlebells in there and then have them do it again. And if they can do 10 again, I'm, I'll put more in. If they can do 10, I'll put more in. And as soon as they get to the point where 10 is now no longer attainable, I say, that's the right weight for you. So I want you to go home, put on a backpack, and put enough weights in that you can't quite get the 10 reps. That's enough weight that we know that they're going to be somewhere near the appropriate resistance to cause these kind of changes that I'm talking about. So it keeps it very simple for the patient, you know, very easy Perfect. to remember. If I can do 10, it's too light. If, and then I also sometimes help them out, you know, the other way. I say, if you can't do five, it's too heavy. So then what do you tell patients or when do you tell patients that exercise is not appropriate or maybe even physical activity? So one of the things that brought this up in my mind was uh, listening to a couple other uh, more intelligent people talk this past month and bringing up some study data where as a novice runner, if you start running for exercise to improve your cardiovascular fitness, 80 to 85% of those novice runners are going to have a lower extremity injury 
over the first year. And this lower extremity injury, I believe, is significant enough that they have to quit running for a little bit of time. So with that in mind, when do you tell your patients, don't be active, don't exercise? Um, to your point of... People who start running, you know, 80, 85% of them having a running-related injury, I say, so what? They have an injury. <laughs> and, that, that, and that's right. And that's the thing I, that we as physical therapists, I think, uh -huh. can do a good job of and sometimes not. I feel like we can be really good at it with imaging and low back pain now. I think just about everybody I know loves, we love to say, oh yeah, you're not your MRI, you know, 80% of people over 40 years old with no back pain on your MRI is going to have bulging discs and stenosis because it fits with our narrative that conservative treatment may be appropriate and that you don't need surgery or injections, it's normal, all that type of stuff. But then on the other side of things, you know, we say like, oh, well, you have this little bit of pain in the front of your knee and you're running, you know, 40 miles a week. That's terrible. Like, why is that happening? We need to fix something. Something's wrong. Uh, uh, that old patellofemoral so, pain, the back pain of the knee. The back pain of the knee. So I think we can really uh, brush aside pain oh, as no, normal. No, 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 don't do that. It's our narrative. And on the other side, we can catastrophize pain. Also, when don't it do that. May also, be normal. It's not yeah. a dichotomy. So, what do you do? You ever? That's right. Do you ever recommend not no exercise or different types? The of only time I recommend that physical activity or exercise is inappropriate is when the risk of doing the activity outweighs the potential benefit. It's that simple. So again, students, students, hold on. I give and you specific, so you specific examples. Right? <laughs> Patients who are All at right, risk good. for falls, right? You put them through a Berg test and they score seven, right? <laughs> Guess what they're not going to do? I'm not going to tell them to go on a walk around their neighborhood, okay? I'm not going to tell them to walk down their icy driveway out to the mailbox, you know? That's just begging for disaster. But there are a lot of other things you can tell them to do, right? You just have to modify. You, you know, you can buy, get them one of those little, you know, pedal ergometers that they can do, you know, sitting safely in a chair. And if they're really that bad with balance, maybe they need to be strapped to the chair, the gate belt. I don't know. But we, we want to make sure the patients are staying safe relatively while doing it. Having some knee pain while running is well worth the benefit you can get from running. Um, I had a patient off once, you know, I often quote that got a total knee replacement, wanted to return to running. The surgeon said, no, don't return to running. You're going to wear out that prosthetic. And uh, the patient said, well, I'd rather pay my surgeon than pay my cardiologist. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, if, if that's how patients feel about it, I can, I can, I can agree with that sentiment is that the potential benefit from doing exercise and activity does outweigh a lot of risk. Now, there's sometimes I would say that the risk outweighs the activity. So if you have a patient who has, you know, a recent rotator cuff repair and they're in that, you know, acute phase of their post-op management and they tell you that they want to go swing a tennis bracket, that's probably a no-go. 
Um, but you can give them other things to stay physically active. And that's where I feel like physical therapy can definitely help out in this is we understand the injury. We've evaluated the patient and we know the benefits of physical activity and exercise. Can we creatively, as the movement experts that we are, come up with alternative solutions for these patients so they can stay active, stay healthy, stay well, despite the fact that they're recovering from a surgery or injury? Very good. So then my last question for this thread was how long do you tell your patients to continue with their HEP when you discharge them? Now, I know this can depend on diagnosis and all this type of things, but I asked this question because like, the, my two case examples would be uh, general rotator cuff, well, I shouldn't say rotator cuff, shoulder pain, they've strengthened, they've done some stretches, things are feeling better. How long do they keep doing their stretchy bands and their wall slides at home? Or when do they move on from that? Or from like a back pain perspective, if you have a patient who's responded to a directional preference, say extension, how long are you going to keep having them do their, you know, prone press ups or standing extensions? Oh, what do you tell them? Oh, Matt. patients. Oh, Matt. Oh, they asked me this too, and I have a very strong answer for them. I feel very strongly about it. Sorry. Um, so to go back to something that was said earlier in this podcast, you said that the exercises that you select, right, the interventions, I shouldn't say just exercises, the interventions that you select, whether it be therapeutic activity, therapeutic exercise, manual therapy, neuromuscular education, the activities you select during your plan of care that you put into the HEPs, how do you pick those again? Based on their current Right, working towards a goal, right? If they have discharged from PT, are they still working on those goals? If they've met all their goals, then your therapeutic exercise is no longer a therapeutic exercise. It's not working towards their goal. It should have already done its job. So you can no longer say that the exercise you're selecting is a therapeutic exercise to work on their goal because hopefully they've met that goal. So I tell patients like, because they, they ask me that too, like how long will I have to do these? I'm like, until your discharge day. Because that's the goal of this exercise. This goal of this, this exercise that I've picked out is to get you to the point where you can do whatever your goal was, whether it's, you know, walk the dog in the park, whether it's put a can of beans in the top shelf, whatever your goal is. This exercise I've specifically picked for you, tailored to you to work on that goal. And once you've achieved that goal, this exercise goes out the window. We don't need it anymore. We got there, right? To maintain that though, right? To maintain that, I tell the patient, you got to keep doing the activities, right? So if you want to stay good at putting beans in the top shelf, keep putting beans in the top shelf. You do not need to do your rubber band exercise to put beans in the top shelf once you're able to do it. To get there, maybe you do. I don't even know if you actually do have to do the rubber band exercises to get back to the top shelf, but I think <laughs> that maybe it helps. So therefore I do it. Uh, and then once patients are able to do it, the rubber band goes away, right? And that's when we start talking about general exercise, um, general activity. It's no longer therapeutic because you've met the goal. Exercise is only therapeutic exercise when it is goal-driven. And it better be patient goal-driven. Please don't write, please, if, if you're a PT out there and you write a goal that says patient will improve on the quick dash by the MCID, 
stop writing that goal. No patient has ever told you that. That is not a patient-centered goal. <laughs> Just stop. It makes me sad. I read them and I cry. <laughs> and it's dangerous with paper masks and tears. You know, you saturate it. <laughs> the only patient-centered goals are Andy. Andy's mask is not actually going to be protecting anyone. So, yeah. The last Public home exercise plan should not be therapeutic exercise because you should have met all your therapeutic goals. Okay. What do you tell patients about if they say, well, what if my shoulder starts hurting again? What do I do? Oh, now that's a tough question. So that is assuming that their shoulder, the reason their shoulder is hurting is the exact same reason that it hurt the first time you evaluated it. So if you're so bold as to say that you're saying the next time your patient has shoulder pain that it's probably the exact same thing that's happened previously, so therefore they should take the same thing, that would be like if you were a doctor and your patient got sniffles and you actually worked them up and said, oh, look, they have a bacterial infection and I'm going to give them this antibiotic. It'd be like next time they come back with the sniffles or you know, when they get the sniffles again, you don't even see them. You just write them a prescription for the same antibiotic. Oh, that analogy makes it sound a little worse, doesn't it? So no, I don't tell patients to do the same exercises that they've done previously to try to make their shoulder pain go away. I will give them general guidelines about like, hey, sometimes injuries can last for a little while. Maybe you need to just take a little break from whatever activity was provoking it. Maybe you need to put some ice on. Maybe you need to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Other, you know, typical police management techniques for acute injuries. But I don't assume, you know, that my therapeutic exercises that I've picked and tailored to the patient for this case are going to be appropriate for the next time the shoulder patient has shoulder pain. That's balls. <laughs> yeah, and I think that is a, it's a well, it's a great point. And it's also something that as physical therapists we rail against when the general practitioner, orthopedic surgeon, or whoever it is, hands a patient this handout of like five general exercises for this certain pain and they come in you know a month later because this hasn't worked and they gave me i've been doing my physical therapy but it's not doing better we're like oh well this isn't like specific enough it's not targeting what we're doing but i see it done by us a lot with what you're saying at the end of discharge here are these exercises keep doing them or if it starts to flare up again start doing these again because it's obviously the same same, uh, yeah, same issue. but I guess so. when you put it that way, yeah. I'm kind of okay with it to a certain extent because hear me out again. When your goal is pain reduction, disability reduction, sometimes general exercise or even quote unquote sham exercise can be enough to change pain and disability. So if your patient's saying like, hey, what can I do to fix my blank pain? And a doctor just gives them a handout. They've already paid the copay for that doctor's appointment. The handout takes the doctor very little time. That could be, could be, I don't know, could be very astute healthcare dollar utilization there. Because even if that handout only works like 25% of the time, Let's just say it only helps their pain. 25% 25 of the patients they hand it to actually helps their pain. That's still saving you a good number of healthcare dollars 
because it doesn't cost a whole lot extra whatever the printing of the you know <laughs> hand i'm not opposed to that <laughs> as much as you might say i do think i'm opposed to it being called physical therapy right but that could just be patients right. misconstruing the terms i don't know if surgeons are actually saying like oh here's your physical therapy and they hand them a paper that would be um that would be bad i would disagree with that but like i don't agree you know like it's kind of like again we're like all about physical therapy let's try the conservative approach first but what's more conservative than going in to see physical therapy is getting a handout <laughs> Yep, try just a couple of these general exercises for maybe a general problem and you may feel better. So that's where I think I would be on the other side of the fence uh, with the last HEP is that I will tell the patient, hey, if this starts to flare up again, try these exercises that you've done. If it doesn't work, then you can always come back. But I don't tell them, I don't tell them, I'm not as bold to say that, hey, you're never going to do these again, throw them out the window. I tell them to keep the, you know, the bands in the closet. Oh, no, no, no. I don't tell them to get their band. You know, put but it up the in their shelves. But the exercises go. Like they go. They, they're they too gone. Like, if, if anything, a lot of our, you know, therapeutic exercises are very niche. They're very targeted. They're very specific. Um I try to get patients more bang for their buck, like especially by the time they're done, is I want to get them into like the whatever the quote unquote major muscle groups are. I want to get them doing bigger global motions, multi-segmental activities, um, and they can definitely use the bands for that. Man, I have been. Oh, I'm not a I'm not a product rep for anybody, but um, if you go on like Amazon and type in like pull up assist bands, you get these really thick, like um, loop therapy. You know, I don't want to say theraband, stretchy band. Okay. And they are fantastic. You can do a lot with them. Like even like, you know, like I, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but usually I grab pretty heavy dumbbells for like shrugs and stuff like choking up on a thick, heavy pull up assist band gets you that kind of same feel as a good heavy set of dumbbells. And it doesn't take up much room in my garage because now my garage is my gym because I'm not allowed to go outside without a mask on my face. And I don't want to work out with a mask on my face. <laughs> yeah, and that's where I think kind of circling back around to the beginning part of our conversation is that in my practice and personal experience, by the end of physical therapy, if I am using my time with the patient specifically, not trying to overbill or um, waste healthcare dollars and that type of stuff, there's only so much education and time typically that I end up getting to spend on those multi-segmental, um, big global type exercises. Um, and maybe that's just me, but I don't normally get to advance them that far. Uh, so I feel like there's room for some, some more education or training or specific, uh, programming after discharge from therapy. Yeah. I don't I think haven't you should get more time to do those things. You specifically, you <laughs> point my finger. Um, because you're not <laughs> the least skilled professional that can do that. Right. Because that's how we talk about, uh, good healthcare utilization is the least skilled person that can do that job appropriately should be the one to do that job. So if a personal trainer can appropriately educate on, I'm not saying that personal trainers are less skilled, but their reimbursement, you know, like is 
lower, you know, like their, their educational requirement yeah, or it's cash is based lower for the, the patients than physical yeah. therapists yeah. currently. Okay. Not bashing on personal trainers, love personal trainers. I worked with PTs who are both personal trainers and PTs. I've worked with personal trainers. This is like saying like my, my one black friend, <laughs> I'm sorry, personal trainers. I do not mean to infer <laughs> they are inferior in any way. You were a great transitional um, bit of provider to help out with when we discharge patients from PT and they have to get into exercise on their own. Um, but they should be the ones that take over at that point. So if you've met your goals for PT, yeah, you don't have the time. You shouldn't have the time. You shouldn't have the healthcare dollars to, as a physical therapist, teach those things. That is when they should be appropriately passed. So I will do those things, you know, like on that last day to get them started, to give them a taste of it. And if they need more information, that's when I direct them to a better resource, whether that be an online resource or an, another person, such as a personal trainer, athletic trainer, at like the high school that they play on a team with, um, strength conditioning coaches, whoever the appropriate person is for that patient. So um, you can give me your As thoughts on this. Uh, at the clinic I work at, prior prior to the pandemic, we had an aftercare program where when patients had met their goals for skilled physical therapy and were discharged, they could pay out of their own pocket for a gym membership to come in and um, do strength training workout. As a part of that, they got one uh, one-on-one hour session with a certified personal trainer who's also a PTA at our clinic to build a program with them, take them through use of machines and free weights and that type of stuff. And then they would continue on independently with the license to come and ask anyone in the clinic, physical therapist, their old physical therapist, whoever's around the trainer free of charge. You know, if they had questions or wanted to know about progressing something, that, that type of thing. What are your thoughts on? Okay, Matt, I am so, like so strongly, so strongly in support of that idea. <laughs> I love it because it's, it's, yes. Accessibility, right? So that is one of the major limiting factors for people to get into health, wellness, fitness activity is accessibility. You know, like getting a gym membership, driving to the gym, or, you know, finding out um, a proper exercise you can do at home. Like what you just described was basically catching those patients as they're leaving physical therapy making it accessible to them, a place they already know how to get to, um, people that they're familiar and comfortable with, um, resources for them to ask questions. That is splendid. And that is how we are going to start reversing the healthcare inequities that exist um, so that people who you know are less educated, people who are more educated, people that are affluent, people who are poor, people who are come from all walks of stage of life will then have an opportunity to get good health wellness education and have the opportunity to participate in those activities. That's fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. And that's been our experience with patients, even talking about like a silver sneakers program where they could go to another gym for free. Uh, a lot of those patients would choose when given the option, like here's what you can do to stay on as the aftercare program because just of what you said, they felt comfortable. They already knew the people. They knew the place. They knew the equipment. 
um, those types of things. So I think that's a really good um, point you made from the psychology of it. There are foot's already in the door, and you kind of hopefully keep them um, in that in the world that's going to help help their overall health and well being. So, all right. All right. Let's, any other to thoughts sum it on all this up topic? To say that hey, physical activity and exercise are different things. They are both important. Um, they are something that is important for our, all physical therapy patients to have some understanding of, and whether or not physical therapists are the best people to provide that education to um, help patients through that process. That's up for debate. We do need to at least start those conversations and get those patients to the appropriate person because if we're not capturing those people, um, the healthcare, the other healthcare problems that stem from sedentary lifestyles are going to continue to grow at the crazy rate that they are in the U.S. and in other places of the world. And it's up to all healthcare providers, you know, regardless of what your scope of practice is, to try to battle against these uh, greater public health issues. For sure. So what are we talking about next week, um, Andy? So again, physical therapy students, they want these uh, hard concrete things. They're not okay with that you know, gray, the ambiguity. But that's what we're here to talk about on, on the fence physio. We are on the fence. We're gonna, we can't answer a question with it depends. That is our one rule for the podcast. So when do you discharge a patient? I had this conversation with my student most recently. She wants to know when do you discharge a patient? And without saying it depends, I want to talk about when do we discharge patients from physical therapy, outpatient care. All right. I can't wait to have some heated debate around that. You know, just, right. just throw down the gauntlet. I keep my patients forever. <laughs> so therapists, leaving. students, patients, please um, follow on Twitter at OTF Physio, P-H- Y-S-I-O. Um, follow us. Join in on the conversation. Um, I would love to hear, a, especially a patient's perspective on, you know, what are your experiences when discharge from PT came? Did you just stop showing up for appointments? Did your therapist have a formal discharge appointment with you? Um, how did you decide when to have that appointment? Was it when your insurance authorization ran out? <laughs> I'm curious. So please participate in our conversation. I would love to hear some other people's experiences.